Lord, First Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 10 and 11 today. Uh, you open your Bible, you find these words in the English Standard Version. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <clears throat> to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Today we want to talk from this thought, the hope of the Christian. The hope of the Christian. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we are, we are winding down this wonderful and enlightening journey through the book of First Peter. Our studies in this book gave us a close-up of what it is like or what it was like to be a Christian during the early days of our faith. During a time when the persecution of believers for trusting in Christ was the norm in society. That persecution was supported by those who rejected Christ and, and, and enforced by a government, the Roman Empire, determined to drive the values and principles of God from the minds of its citizens. In essence, we see that when we juxtapose or compare the lives of early believers with those who stood and still stand for Christ throughout the history of our faith, we come to one serious and perhaps disheartening conclusion. Not much has changed. Now I know you will say that things certainly fare better for Christians today than they did for those believers who practiced and lived their faith under horrible emperors like Nero. But I will ask you to consider whether your contemporary comparison group consists of believers just in, in free societies like America, or do you take into consideration, when you make this comparison, do you take in consideration believers worldwide when you consider the current state of persecution against Christians? For if you consider only free societies like the one in which we live, it does appear that the church or believers have it pretty good. Enemies of our faith do not generally and frequently break down the doors of our church buildings and drag us out and execute us because we love Jesus. Rare, if ever, have we seen paramilitary terrorists Use automatic weapons and machine guns to kill unsuspecting Christians as they exit their place of worship. So if you are only considering the church in places like America, things might look pretty good. We can openly declare our faith 
with only having to worry about the occasional loss of a Facebook friend. Somebody you really didn't know anyway. But if you have the courage and the conviction to consider what it's like to be a Christian in a place like Syria, where the Islamic State is constantly hunting you, desiring your death because you have the audacity, the nerve, the unmitigated gall to love Jesus. Your family and your fellow men, people in your community, because you dare to love them with the love of Jesus Christ, then your conclusion regarding the difficulties and persecution endured for loving Jesus might lead you to this very real conclusion that Satan is real. Evil still hates good. And that being a Christian still means that you can be persecuted for loving and serving Christ. I wish I had one witness here today. Therefore, I say to you today that if you have the courage to believe that no matter the relatively comfortable existence for Christians in America, there are many of our blood-bought sisters and brothers across this world who face daily threats of death or imprisonment because they love Jesus. If you have the you have the courage, then your eyes are now open even to the increasing persecution of believers in America. Yes, America. America, the beautiful. America, land of the free and home of the brave. America, a nation that God himself has blessed with the basic desire of every human being, and that is to be free. This America still persecutes those who have that audacity of believing in, trusting in, and clinging to their hope in Christ Jesus. In a country of freedom, Christians are no longer free from persecution in the marketplace of ideas and principles because every time we stand up for Jesus, every time we stand up for God, you better believe that the enemy's got somebody trying to knock you down. Are you going to pray with me today? Every time we take a stand for right, the enemy has someone assigned to try to make you sit down, to out-talk you, to shout you down, to make you feel embarrassed, to make you feel bad about the fact that you happen to believe what is in God's word. The church is in a state of retreat in some areas. 
Our silence has ensured that some of the battles that should be fought for the cause of Christ have gone over to the enemy's column because we were too afraid to speak up. And so, I want to tell you today, I want to tell you that we are being persecuted in that marketplace of ideas and principles, and that's where persecution begins when the enemy wants to shout down what is right destroy the values of faith and family destroy all of those things right after that they start locking people up history tells us that the nazis first decided that they were going to destroy all of the books and the education and and everything that that kept people in a position where they could learn, where they might object to to Nazi uh, beliefs. They destroyed that, and the very next thing they did was round up all the Jews because the Jews were people of faith. And when you get rid of people of faith, sin can run rampant in any society. So what then shall we make of being a Christian in a world that hates God because it's lost in the grip of sin? How shall we live and operate knowing that standing for Christ means that you become more visible to the enemies of God? See, sitting down Gives you a hiding place. Huh? (laughs) But when you stand up. Oh, somebody know what I'm talking about in here. When you stand up, not only do your friends see you, but your enemies got a good shot at you. So, how do we, what is the one element that we who believe must cling to in order to save our minds from being overrun with the anxieties and worries that come with living saved in an unsaved world. I'm glad you stopped by Bethel this morning because God has an answer for what you and I really need. He has given us something upon which We can stand unashamedly as believers. He has given us something that those who persecute us, who ignore the gospel we preach, and who live in the selfishness of their own sin, he's given us something they don't have and will not have if they do not repent and trust Jesus as Savior. God has given us the sustaining Fuel for not just surviving, but thriving in a world that is diametrically opposed to him. He has given us hope in Jesus Christ. I wish I had somebody just get a little excited about that. See, so you got to allow just a little excitement in your life every now and then. And you ought to be glad that in the midst of all that is happening, in this world you as a believer have one thing that no unbeliever possesses and that is this hope in Jesus now after Peter has told the believers of his day that they must resist the devil 
For he's like that roaring lion seeking to devour them. Peter now turns his attention to giving the believers then and now something that is so incredibly encouraging that it is difficult. It is difficult. You have to work hard. You have to really labor to read this text and not find joy even in your darkest hour. Peter says this. First of all, before I, before I read it, let me, let me just see by a quick show of hands somebody that has had some darkness in your life, some, some difficult times, some hardships, some, some persecution, some, some people that have left you alone, somebody that wouldn't be your friend anymore, that didn't want to call you because you had the nerve to say that you love Jesus. This is for you this morning. This is for you. Peter says this. He says, and after you suffered a little while, mm, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This text is hope providing, head lifting, heart encouraging, mind regulating, hand clapping, foot stomping, and forward marching stuff. If you got this right now, you'd be excited. If you, if you really understood that how the Lord here is speaking in the midst of your darkest hour, in the midst of your most difficult day, after you suffered just a little while. Just when you think that God has left you alone in your suffering. Just when you think that you can't get a prayer through. Just when you think that you're all by yourself. Peter says that, that you have only have to suffer for a little while. This word here changes the game. Look at somebody say it's a game changer. It's a game changer. This word changes the game. While the enemy is persecuting you and wants to destroy your life, this word says, no, not so for my children. Not so for my children. I'm giving you a hope that they don't have. Now, there are three reasons for the Christian to rest and find refuge in the hope in this text. The first reason is this. We hope in Christ because suffering is temporary. See, I, I, if I was around some real Christians and said that, it might be a shout or two going up in here. So I'm going to give you another chance. We suffer, we hope in Christ because suffering is temporary. That's more like it. That's more like it. There's, there's some people in here that really know God. And uh, I'm, I'm beginning to believe I'm in the right place this morning. Uh, 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 suffering is temporary. Look at what he says. And after. After. You have suffered a little while. You know, when you look at a phrase like a little while. That don't even sound like it ought to be in the. King James version for sure. It, 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 it doesn't just, it sound almost colloquial. You know, when you coming over, oh, in a little while. <laughs> you know, when you going to call me, in a little while. You know, when you going to graduate, in a little while. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, it just doesn't even seem like that it's in the, it ought to be in God's word. But look at that phrase. He says, after you have suffered a little while. 
see my brothers and sisters, that which must drive the motivation of every Christian is to know emphatically and with great joy in our hearts that suffering is real, but more importantly than suffering being real, we better know it's not forever. I'm going to tell you a little story about my grandmother, my father's mother. Uh, name was Montre Morris, and, and my grandmother died when she was about 64 years old. And she had what I would consider a hard life. It was a difficult life. She was a single mother left by her husband in the 1940s before they had all this social assistance that you could get. She had to try to raise three hard-headed, roughneck boys, one of which was my daddy. <laughs> Amen. She had, to, she had to try and do that by, mostly by herself until she remarried. And, and even during that time, it was a difficult marriage because she married a hard man and and I can only imagine some of the decisions that she was making not wanting these boys to not have any chance of having a father because my grandfather was one of those guys that said hey I ain't gonna quit drinking smoking and chasing women so y'all better off with your mama my granddaddy was something else y'all don't look at me like I'm the only one with a granddaddy or something else Go on back far enough in your, in your family tree. You got some uncles and granddaddies and some cousins that you're like, oh, Lord, how did, they, how did they get in the family? I don't. So, and so my, you know, my granddaddy was one of them guys that when he got out of World War II, him and his best friend went down through the South running revivals. And neither one of them was a preacher. <laughs> I told y'all he was something else, didn't I? Bless his heart. When you say bless your heart, you can say whatever you want about somebody. It's just as long as you say bless their heart. I just, <laughs> so, so, so my grandmother had a lot of difficulty in life. She suffered greatly during different periods in her life. And ultimately, it was cancer that, that took her on to glory. But I remember as a child that through my grandmother's difficulties, through her suffering, every now and then I'd be in the living room with my coloring book and I'd hear grandmother singing a song saying, soon I will be done. Oh, y'all don't hear me today. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world. And I realized when I look back on that, that my grandmother understood that whatever her lot in life, whatever her situation was, she understood that one of these old days that God was going to end her suffering, that she would walk from through the doorway of death from life, from this life to eternal life. And so she knew that her suffering temporary and if people who endure suffering much greater many times than our own can say that I believe that this suffering is temporary how much more can we who have been blessed to not go through some of these things endure and remember and believe that it's all temporary 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in speaking of the hope for the Christians, said this. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Are you hearing me today? We have to accept the fact that as believers, we're going to be let down. As believers, we're going to be disappointed. As believers, we're going to face discouragement. As believers, we will even find sometimes that we are in despair. But even in all of that, never lose the infinite hope that one of these days we are going to be with Jesus and all of that's going to be over. So Peter reminds us that though we suffer, it is a temporary condition. The pain only for a little while. The difficulty only for a little while. The late nights of agony, sometimes crying yourself to sleep is only for a little while. Look at your neighbor and just say only for a little while. Don't worry about it. It's only for a little while. Just, just, just go ahead and give him a high five and say it's only for a little while. Don't, don't even worry. It's, it's, I got to tell you it's only for a little while. You don't know who came here today needing to hear that it's only for a little while. You don't know who came here today that's going through something in their life and needs to know that what you are experiencing, the difficulties of your circumstance, your financial struggle is only for a little while. Let me, let me make this plain. They're not going to send me a Nipsco bill in heaven. <laughs> Jesus said this in John 14. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Somebody finna get excited right here are many mansions and if I go and I come to you again I'm going to bring you where I am and guess what won't be an ARM no other kind of mortgage you don't have to pay the bill that house is built and waiting on you to get there I wish I had somebody here I don't have to worry about what the interest rate is it was bought and paid for by his blood. Oh, I wish I had somebody get excited here. It was bought by the blood of Jesus. And the deed is in my name. I wish I had somebody. It's only for a little while. It's only for a little while. It's only for a little while. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus explains. Because some of us still may not be convinced. So you ask me, how long, pastor? You're doing all this little while talking. I'm struggling. Seems like I've been struggling all my life. I've been having some difficulties. My children won't listen. My, my family is in disarray. My, my life is rough. How long is a little while? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus explains in John chapter 16 what a little while is. Verse 16 he says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. 
So some of the disciples, like us, said to one another, what is this he says to us? And again, a little while, you will see me. Because, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? Here's what they said. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew in verse 19. He knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while. You will see me. Here's what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world, watch this now, will rejoice. You're going to be crying. But the world who doesn't know Christ will rejoice in your tears. Watch this now. You will be sorrowful. But I love this word, but. Everybody say, but. But the world will rejoice, or but your sorrow will turn into joy. You're going to cry. You're going to have sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now, here's where, here's where he explains this. Now, watch this. He says this. When a woman is giving birth, come on, mothers, help me now. She has sorrow. Because her hour has come. Labor pains. Contractions hit. You make that face like, get this thing out of me right now. Do whatever you have to do. Huh? But look at what Jesus says. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I'm going to see you again. And your hearts will rejoice when I show up the second time. And no one will take your joy from you. You are in labor now. But something's being birthed in your life. Something that you, that's being birthed in your life by the love of God and the love of Christ that will bring great joy into your life. So brothers and sisters, I'm good with a little while. Because one day, the trouble of this world will be turned into the joy of eternal life with my Savior. So we hope because our suffering is temporary. Here's a second reason why we hope. Watch this now. We hope in Christ because of the grace of God. Everybody say grace. We hope in Christ because of the grace of God. Look at, look at what he says as he goes on here. He said, Peter says, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. How awesome is it to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as a believer in Christ, we walk in a grace that is so marvelous, yet so.
so undeserved. This grace we are given is the same grace by which we are living. We are given a grace that sustains our everyday life. How many people here know that you've already done enough foolish things that you ought to be dead? Huh? I'm talking, I, I ain't talking about just since you've been saved. But look, some of us ought to be dead before we got to the I'm saved part. You know, some of us did some stuff in our BC that we look back now and say, hey, was nothing but the grace of the Lord that I'm standing here today. I took so many drugs, they should have had, they could have made a pharmacy out of me. I wish I had somebody here. I did, I drank so much liquor that I was high all the time. I, and, and yet, God saved me and delivered me. I had so many partners in the 80s that I should have had HIV, HOV, AMP, whatever it was. Just name the initials, I should have had it. Don't you look at me with that I've been always saved face. You are lying, the truth ain't in you. <laughs> you ain't always been saved. Huh? And some of us that were saved early took some years off. <laughs> Pastor, stay out of my business. I wish you'd just stay out of my business. Go on, preach your sermon. Leave me alone. Watch this now. So it's that grace that is sustaining you. Peter says, the God of all grace. There is no grace besides his. There is only one place from which we get real grace, and that is from him. Real grace comes only from the one legally able to give it. Because that one has been offended to the greatest degree. Watch this now. You think you give grace to people. Because they got on your nerves one day and you forgave them. But see, you haven't been offended like God has been offended. Imagine you're the creator of the universe. Everything is under your subjection. Everything obeys what you say. You step out on nothing. Because you don't need nothing to hold you up. And you say let there be light. And light shows up. You say let me separate the light from the darkness, and you separate from light from the darkness. You, you say, let there be waters and, and, and let there be land. And you separate the water from the land. You put fish in the sea, birds in the air. You do all of these things, and then you get down inside yourself. Some says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Now before, imagine now, walk with me here. You're the creator of the universe. Before, everything you made you looked at it and said, it's good. It's good. This is good. And you're on a creative role. And you say, let me make man in my own image and my own likeness. Every bird, every fish, every animal does just what I designed it to do. Let me give man free moral will. And you make man in your own image and 
you make him and put him in a garden and he doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to till the field. There's no rain because everything is self-sustained by you. You give him everything you need and you tell him just one thing you need him to do. Look here, dude. All I need you to do is stay away from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. And you give him everything he could have asked for. He was lonely and you said it's not good for him to be alone. And so you made him, but you fashioned her so that when he looked at her, he would name her woman, which really means wow. Somebody helping me here. You see where I'm going. You gave him all of that, that he would look at this woman and what, and he said, then you told him, be fruitful and multiply, have chilling. All of that you gave to man. And all you asked in return, stay out of the tree in the midst of the garden. Don't even go back. Don't look at it. Don't eat its fruit. And all this can be yours. I can almost see God showing up in the, in the image of Wayne Brady on Let's Make a Deal. <laughs> giving you all of this if you just stay away from that. Don't y'all go around there and tell my pastor say God was Rain Brady. I didn't say that. I... But, but you, you, you see how God provided all of that and the one thing that you made in your own image and your own likeness decides to offend you to the highest degree. Walks right to the tree in the middle of the garden. The woman hears from the serpent. She eats and gives to her husband and he ate it too. I mean, you know. Seemed like he would have just said, ooh, you going to get it. I ain't eating that. I heard what God said. But I told you she had the wow factor, didn't I? Some of these ladies like, that's right. (laughs) You've been wowing your husband for a long time. I'm just saying. And so he eats. He offends you to the highest. And you think you give people grace because they told a lie on you? See, grace can only be given. True grace. By the one who's legally able to give it. The one who's been offended the greatest of any human being. Your worst day ain't like what God was offended when he made us and we sinned. Watch this thing now. Watch this. Watch this. Peter Peter says here, he says, the God of all grace. God created Sin in us for offended and God restored by his grace. By this grace, we received a calling to, into the eternal 
God's eternal glory in Christ. God will forever glory in Christ. The Father's grace calls us into a forever glory of the Father in the Son. We are now partakers of that glory. The Father will never stop glorying in the Son. And he's invited us to the party. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Through Christ. There's a forever glory. And so we hope in Christ because of the grace that God has provided. The last thing I'm going to tell you, and we'll be ready to go here. The last thing is we hope in Christ because God fixes what sin destroys. Somebody truly saved ought to give God some praise right there. See, Somebody that remember they BC, yo, before Christ, ought to really give God some praise on that because God fixes what your sin destroys. Look at what he says. And I'm going to read this whole passage again because I want you to get it. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, look at this now, you're going to want to underline this part, Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Here is what our hope in Christ does for those broken and busted by the shame of sin. The first thing Peter says you get here is restoration. Now, I need to give you the understanding, the quick understanding of what restoration really is. Here's what restoration. Restoration simply means that you are taken back to your original design. I wish I had somebody. Y'all watch that Flip This House programs and all that. They, they take they an take old busted house and bring it back to its original purpose. What is It was unlivable and now it's livable. It was horrible and now it's beautiful. It was terrible and now it's wonderful. And so you are going back in Christ to your original. Let us make man. Huh? Until his original design was let us make man in our image and our likeness. Sin took the image of God and distorted it. And God said through Christ, I'm going to restore the image of myself in those who would believe. Watch this now. Restoration takes you back to your original purpose and design. Here's what God made you for. Then the next thing you get is confirmation. Everybody say confirmation. confirmation. Now, 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 here is what confirmation really is. It's the assurance that things are as they should be. Confirmation. I showed up at a hotel once. And they told me I didn't have a reservation. But there was something that I had printed out called a confirmation number. And when I got the confirmation number, I presented it to the clerk. I said, this number is telling me that I should have a room here tonight. She said, yes, sir, you have a confirmation. We're going to get you a room right away. Because confirmation is assurance that things are as they should be. 
Watch this now. When you cry in your suffering and the spirit of God moves in your heart and turns your tears of sorrow into tears of joy, you just got your confirmation number from heaven. Everything is as it should be. I wish I had somebody here. You, when the devil tries to tell you that you don't have a God on your side. When Satan tries to make you think that you are alone, discouraged, and distracted, you tell him, I have a confirmation number. And it's made up from this, John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed, that's me, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Devil, you are lying. The truth ain't in you. I've got a confirmation, the assurance that things are as they should be. And then Peter says, not only did he give you restoration and confirmation, but he gave you strength. Everybody say strength. See, 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 sin wants to weaken you. Sin wants to discourage you. Sin wants to make you feel that you don't have any energy whatsoever. Let me tell you what God's strength is. God's strength really means he's given you provision for the journey. Watch this now. When I was a little boy, we used to go down south to Mississippi. And in those days, we didn't, we didn't stop. Somebody know what I'm talking about. We didn't stop along the road and, 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 and stop at a restaurant to eat and all this kind of thing. My granddaddy was a straight-through driver. If it was 13 hours, we was going straight through. No hotel, no motel, you're going. So my grandmother knew that my grandfather was a straight-through driver, but she knew that along the journey, we would need something to sustain us. We would need something to build our strength. So she took an old shoebox and lined it with aluminum foil, and, and she cooked up a chicken and put it in there, and she fried some apple pies and put that in there. And she said, here's something that's going to sustain you for the journey and I'm telling you that God has done the same thing for his children he said I've got Jesus I packaged him in a human body I sent him to earth and that is going to sustain you for your journey I made him suffer on the cross so you can be sustained in your journey he's given you provision for the journey Every time you feel weak, think of Christ and what he endured on the cross. Every time you feel that you're not going to make it, that your strength has run out, think of Calvary and what God did in allowing him to die and then raise him up in the same way. As your strength gets weak on your Good Friday day, understand that Easter Sunday's coming. I wish I had somebody. The last thing that Peter listed here was not only restoration, confirmation, and strength, but he says that God himself will establish you. Watch this now. To be established means that you have the legal right to be somewhere and you're anchored down in where you are. 
In other words, the ground on which you stand is firm. I wish I had somebody. You are anchored. You are anchored down to endure whatever may come your way. When the devil tries to tell you that you don't have a right to be blessed, you tell him, devil, use a lie. I have every right because of Jesus to be blessed. I'm anchored down right here and I'm standing on a solid rock. David understood this. And in the Psalms, he used the phrase, you set my feet on a rock. You see, you see, rocks are sturdy. Rocks are dense. Rocks are firm. Rocks are heavy. Just no little old wind can move a rock. You don't see the mountains wavering in the storm. You see the mountains standing tall because they're made of rock. And when he establishes you, he sets your feet on that rock. And if you own the rock, that rock is Jesus. And if you're standing on the rock, let the wind blow, you're still on the rock. Let the storm rise. You're still on the rock. The breakers dash. The billows roll. But you are still. I wish I had just two, three people. But no, you're still on the rock. Tell somebody, stand on the rock. And so Peter says, God himself will establish you. He'll restore you. He'll confirm you. He'll strengthen you. And I can imagine in my mind that just as Peter was getting to this last one, knowing what he had to face and potentially what he would face for standing for Jesus, I could imagine in my mind that he got a little excited, that something started stirring up on the inside of him and he said let me take a moment in verse 11 and just get a little worship in I wish I had somebody in verse 11 he says I'm getting excited now he says to him you don't hear me today not to my friends not to my mother not to my father not to my church not to my pastor but to him be the dominion forever and ever Peter throws in a little worship here. He said, I got to take a moment and take a praise break and just give God the glory because as I go through life, as I endure things, I understand that this dominion is not mine. It doesn't belong to my church. It belongs only to God. And I'm going to take a minute and just give God what's his. You don't mind if we take a praise break for just 30 seconds. I dare you to stand on your feet and just give God 30 seconds of to him praise. To him belong the dominion. To him is the power. To him is the glory forever and ever. Unto him who's able to keep us from falling. Unto him who presents us faultless. Unto him who holds us in the palm of his hand. Unto him who 
who is an awesome God. Unto him who speaks into our hearts with his word every day. Unto him be glory and dominion and power both now and forever. Because we serve him. We are in relationship.